couple of weeks ago, we looked at uh, Philippians chapter 1, and we uh, recognized the heart that Paul had in writing this letter to this dear group of folks. These folks, as we mentioned, are very, very dear to the Apostle Paul, and it comes out in the letter that he writes to them, remembering that the Apostle Paul writes this letter as he is in prison. He's imprisoned. He's not dwelling on his condition or his state. He mentions it. He refers to it. But he, as he writes this letter, you can sense the heart that he has for this group of folks. And as we mentioned, as it's referenced in Acts, in the book of Acts, in the beginning of this church, God led Paul in a mighty way. The vision of God impressed Paul. It came to him and said that there was a man from Macedonia that simply said, come over and help us. Now, I believe that I can speak on behalf of most, if not all, ministers of the gospel. Their greatest desire to be used of God is to be able to help somebody. And so when this vision went to Paul and said, Paul, we need you to come over and help us. That's the greatest desire. Brother Zach Guest and I were talking this morning and he said, I pray that God will bless me. He's almost 80 years old to be used of the Lord all the days of my life. I pray that I'll not commit a sin that would keep me from being used of God and become a castaway. Paul is desiring to be used of God. So Paul follows the impression of the vision that God had sent to him to be used of God to help some folks. Paul didn't know who these folks were that he was going to be helping. As we mentioned before, as he went into Macedonia, he came upon Lydia and a group of ladies that were praying by the riverside. And Paul began to talk to them about the things of the Lord. And because God had visited their heart and touched their heart, they were attentive to the things that Paul spoke to them. God had visited them first and given them a heart and an ear to hear the things of God. And they attended to the things of Paul. And it says that Lydia and her household were baptized and followed in the teaching of Paul. And they bade Paul, would you stay around a little bit longer and talk to us about the things of the Lord? And then Paul, after delivering a young lady of an ungodly spirit, he was cast into prison and into jail. And while in the jail, it says an earthquake came and broke the bars that were upon Paul and loosed the doors. And all of a sudden, Paul was set free. And Paul and Silas, while they were in prison, We're singing praises and praying to God. Now, this is the makeup. This is the backdrop of the folks at the church at Philippi. So no doubt there were other experiences that Paul experienced. But no doubt as Paul was writing this letter to the little group of folks at Philippi, that he remembered those wonderful, close experiences with God's people and those experiences from the Lord. So that made it really, really special for the Apostle Paul. So when he writes these letters, he goes and he describes the folks that he's writing them to. He says, you're my joy and my crown, meaning I get a lot of joy in seeing you prosper in the Lord. And the theme, as we read the four chapters out of the book of Philippians, the four little chapters In the theme of Philippians, one of the primary themes in this book is to experience the joy in the Lord. And he mentions it over and over again. He says, I want your joy to be full in the Lord. And he says, again, I want you to rejoice in the Lord always. And he says it again a a second time. And he says, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Now, he gives us the prescription or the outline for rejoicing in the Lord. If we're not rejoicing in the Lord, 
then it would do us well to plow through the book of Philippians individually and compare our situation and our thoughts and our mindset and our activities upon what Paul wrote to the church at Philippi. He mentions in there, he says, don't be drawn away. Don't be drawn away from what you've been taught and what you've been instructed. Be steadfast and be strong in the Lord. He mentions to set your sights and your affections, not on things of the world, but on things above. He mentions, he tells us in uh, chapter four, what things to think on. If we get discouraged, if we get disheartened, we might do well to just consider what things that we're thinking on. And Paul outlines it here. We went through chapter one. I love all the chapters. Chapter one is one of my favorite chapters in this book. It's one of my favorite books as a whole. But we're going to go to chapter two and uh, touch on some points here in chapter two and maybe chapter three as well. Chapter two. If there be, therefore, any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the spirit, if any bowels and mercies, Paul says to the church at Philippi, to this body of believers, he says, fulfill ye my joy. And then he describes to them about how that they can behave as a church body to fulfill Paul's joy and their own joy. Several times in the book of uh, the Philippian letter, the apostle Paul mentions over and over again, I'm not sure if there was some dissension or discord that was among them. It specifically mentions two ladies that are referenced, uh, that that reference is brought to in chapter 4. I'm not sure what they might have been struggling with. Maybe not anything at all. And maybe Paul was just warning them in the days ahead. He says, I want you to put forth some effort. I want you to apply some effort to make sure that as a church family and as a church body that you continue in unity of spirit and in one accord. Now that doesn't just happen. It takes looking to the Lord. It takes praying to the Lord. It takes preferring your brother and your sister above yourself. The... Uh, experience, if you travel back and you remember the experience of, uh, of uh, Abraham and Lot, when their herdsmen began to be at discord amongst themselves. And so Abraham calls Lot together and he says, Lot, he said, you pick the land. You pick the better land. You pick the very best. I want you to have the best. I I, I defer to you, Lot, because I want you to pick the very best. Now, what Lot picked didn't work out so well for him. But Lot, Lot picked what appeared to look as the, as the very, very best. And if you remember, Abraham says, he says, Lot, you picked the best. I defer to you because he says, we be brethren. Did you know that that ought to be the underlying approach? We're brothers and we're sisters and we ought to prefer one another over ourselves. We be brethren. Brother Mark told me about a story that he heard years ago. I may not get it exactly right. He can correct me now or later if I don't. But he told about a story uh, years ago that he heard on the radio and uh, a gentleman bought uh, a piece of property And uh, uh, the neighbor came over to him and he said, uh, he's on a Christian radio station, isn't that right? And the neighbor came over and and told him, he says, well, you just bought yourself a lawsuit. He said, beg your pardon? He said, well, your fence is one foot over on my property. And you just bought yourself a problem. And so... You know, most folks would probably go out there and want to hold their ground and hold their property and want to know exactly, get it surveyed and want to know exactly to a T exactly where the property line was. Shortly thereafter, the man went out that had bought the property and he was digging new holes to move the fence over. The neighbor came out and he said, you're you're moving the fence 
And I appreciate that, but you're moving it too far. You're moving it another foot or two over on your property. That You don't have to go that far. You're not moving it on the property line. You're going too far. And the gentleman told him, he said, I'd rather lose one foot of earth and have peace with my neighbor than I would to have it on the line. Sometimes it helps to defer. He said, we be brethren. Paul says right here, he says, Philippian brethren, I'm in prison. I'm writing this letter. And you have brought me great joy. And he says, let me hear reports of you that you're like-minded. Let me hear reports of you that you are having the same love, being of one accord and of one mind. Paul says, let me get a report back while I'm in prison. You're my greatest delight and you're my greatest joy. And don't let me hear reports of dissension and discord, but let me hear reports that you're of one accord and of one mind. And then he says to the folks, and and he's writing this letter to them, and he's entreating them, and over and over in each chapter, he says, "I, I want you to fulfill my joy, and I want your joy to be full, and I want you to rejoice in the Lord, and here's how you do it. He says, by the way, let nothing be done through strife. Or vainglory. But in lowliness of mind. Let each esteem other better than themselves. You know I, I, I really do. I, I enjoy the communion service. It's a great blessing. I enjoy it. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a wonderful blessing. And it reminds us about the sacrifice that the Lord made for us. And it directs our mind to him. But one of the sweet elements of the communion service that is not part of the ordinance, but it is the example that Christ set that he taught us in John chapter 13 is the washing of the saints' feet. And here is the fulfillment of that lesson right here. He says in lowliness of mind, he says, let each other, let each esteem other better than themselves. Did you know that when you witness or enter into a communion and feet washing service, that's exactly what it reminds you of right there? When you kneel down to wash your brother or sister's feet, it reminds you that they're better than you are. Here he says, let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. And then he says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon himself the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Jesus Christ, who was God himself, God representing himself through Jesus Christ in flesh, humbling himself down and submitting himself to even the death on the cross. He humbled himself for you and I. God demanded justice for sin. There was not anyone, not any man or woman that was able to make that sacrifice that had to be made because there's not anybody that's perfect and holy and pure except Jesus Christ himself. And so Jesus Christ humbled himself and became as a man and became obedient to death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore God hath highly exalted him and given him a name above every name that at the name of Jesus Every knee should bow of things in heaven and things on the earth and things under the earth. And that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God, the Father. Paul says to the Philippian folks, he says, wherefore, my beloved, as you've always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. 
Paul's saying that when I'm present with you, he said, you've obeyed the teachings that I've instructed you. But he says, let me hear a report that when I'm not there and you're there on your own, that the same report comes that you're obeying the teachings of God. And then he says, and it's interesting right here, he says, work out your own salvation. But you know, you have to first have salvation in order to be able to work it out. You don't work out in order to get salvation, but you work it out because you have salvation. He says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. And he says, for God, for it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. It's God's delight that you get the fullness of your salvation. It's God's delight that you get the fullness of the joy that you have in the Lord. He said, it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. I remember what Elder Compton used to say, and he preached until he was 102 years of age. And he said, it's God that gives us the desire and the ability. It's God that blesses us with the desire to serve him and God that gives us the ability to serve him. And he's just simply saying, use it to serve him. He says, it's God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. And then the next one. Do all things without murmurings. Ouch. I kind of wish that wasn't in there. Anybody here ever murmur? I guess Michael and I are the only two. He said, do all things without murmurings. Then he adds a little bit more to it right here. Do all things without murmurings and without disputings. Disputings. He says, do it this way because I want you to be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without, without rebuke in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation among whom ye shine as lights in the world. He, he's basically saying... That you're called to shine your light. And you and I are called to really make a difference and to be a difference. And if we're going around and we're always murmuring. Or we're always complaining. Or we're always disputing. Then that's no different than the world. And there's not going to be any difference in us. If If we're looking to the Lord... And we're rejoicing in the Lord. It's interesting that he says right here in chapter 4. He says rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say rejoice. Did you know he, he plugs in right there. That little word always. He doesn't just say rejoice in the Lord when things are going great. That's easy to rejoice. I tell you I can rejoice in the Lord when I come to church. I can't. When I hear these songs, when I, when I hear these prayers, when I am around my brothers and sisters in Christ, I can rejoice in the Lord. What about Thursday or Friday? Sometimes I, I, I get a little bit slack in rejoicing in the Lord. But he says right here, I want you to rejoice in the Lord always. That means when things are going well and when things are not going well. And one of the keys to it is this right here. He's not saying you rejoice in the circumstance. He's not saying you rejoice in yourself. He's not saying you rejoice in your success. He says your rejoicing is in the Lord. So, you know, that's about the only place that I can encourage you that you're going to find true happiness and true joy. It's in the Lord. If you think you're going to find it outside the Lord, you might find a, a, a little short season of pleasure. But you're not going to find true rejoicing other than in the Lord. Look what he says. He says, he says, I want you to not murmur. I want you to not dispute because I want you to shine as lights in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation in the midst of a crooked and perverse world. Well, let me ask you, do you think that would describe the world we're living in right now? 
I mean, I don't hardly ever even turn on the TV at all anymore. I get discouraged. I don't know about you. Maybe you found a, maybe you found the Hallmark Channel or something like that. But I tell you what, it just it, it just I don't care. I just I get I feel worse after watching it than I do before I turn it on. It, it doesn't help. It it hinders. If, if they had Beverly Hillbillies and the Waltons and I Love Lucy and stuff like that, that'd be different. I know these young folks don't even know who they those folks are, but. I was telling Brother Danny about Phil Donahue the other day, and he said, Phil, who? Well, we're in the midst of a crooked and perverse world in which we're living in. And Paul is saying right here, he says, you're called to make a difference. And he said, you make a difference by shining the light that God's given you. Now, look what he says right here. He says, yea, and if I be offered upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I joy and rejoice with you all. He's basically saying right here, I'm in jail for preaching the gospel. But he says, I preach the gospel because it's for the furtherance of your joy. And he's saying right here, I don't mind sacrificing even if I have to sacrifice physically, if it means that it's for the furtherance of your joy. I appreciated Brother Craig's prayer. I always appreciate Brother Craig's prayer. But he prayed that God would bless our minds to be clear, to experience the peace of God and to focus on the Lord. And that's what Paul's saying right here in this letter. He's just saying right here that I want want you to be able to think on the Lord, focus on the Lord, and experience the peace that you have a right to experience as a child of God. And if we don't experience it, then there's something that's missing. There's something that's lacking. And Paul says... Here's the solution right here. Paul says, I'm willing to be even offered as a sacrifice to encourage your faith. And he says, I I get a lot of good out of seeing you rejoice in the Lord. That's what Paul's saying right here. He says, and I joy and rejoice with you all. For the same cause do ye joy and rejoice with me. You, You know, there's probably not a greater I don't think there's a greater scene on earth than to see God's people coming together and rejoicing in the Lord. I think that's just probably one of the greatest seasons that we can experience when we come together and we see each other rejoicing in the Lord. And that's what Paul's saying right here. He says, even in my greatest affliction and my greatest trial, we can Rejoice in the Lord. Heard a minister say, you may have heard it too, that uh, we don't we don't grow spiritually unless we experience hard and difficult times in our life. And it's through those difficult times and those trials that we we grow the most during those times. And we should grow together and we should grow individually. And those should be times of rejoicing as we come closer and closer together. I heard a minister last Sunday evening. I was traveling or a couple of weeks ago to, uh, to, to my parents in Texas, and I heard a, a minister on the radio, and, and he and his, um, and his group ministered to ministers and their wives. And, and they, they were giving um, the statistics, and they said that most ministers last at one church two to five years. Well, I've outlasted my stay, if that's the case, two to five years. And then they began to talk about all the challenges that ministers experience in the ministry. And I tell you, by the time I got through, I was pretty depressed. Said that most ministers, if they had another opportunity to leave or another job, over half of them would. That's, that's astounding. They even talked about ministers that get so discouraged that they end up taking their own life. And it, it was pretty overwhelming. Well, Paul is saying right here, in the midst of even the setbacks and challenges, he said, as long as I can know that you're rejoicing in the Lord, he said, I rejoice in the Lord. I rejoice when I see you rejoice. And then Paul says right here, and I think this is really special. Paul says, I trust. Paul Paul comes down and he says, I'm in prison. And he says, "I, I hope that I get to see you again. I hope I had the opportunity to lay my eyes on you and to embrace you and to rejoice in the Lord together. 
But he said, I'm going to send Timotheus. And I think this is really good. Paul, who knew the needs of the Philippian church, and he knew Timothy. And he says right here, and I think this is interesting to note. Paul says, I have no man like-minded who will naturally care for your state. He says, I'm going to send Timotheus unto you, Timothy, that, that, that I may know of your good comfort and I may know of your state. He says, I'm sending Timothy to encourage you, and Timothy's going to come back and encourage me. He said, other men, he says, there's other men that I, that I know of, and he says, but they seek their own and not the things which are of Jesus Christ. But he says, you know the proof of him that hath a son with the father, how that he hath served with me in the gospel. I think that's interesting right there. We've had some wonderful relationships, Elder Aquino and Elder Compton. We had the blessing of knowing Elder Compton and what a great blessing it was. We had Brother Andrew and Brother, uh, Brother Asa and Brother Andy White and uh, so many others that have blessed us here at Mount Carmel. And you have witnessed God blessing in the very same scenario that he's talking about right here with Timothy. He said, Timothy has been a blessing for me. And he says, I encourage Timothy because Timothy's sound. And he says, Timothy will do you good. And he says, he's going to come back and give me a report. He says, I'm going to encourage you to receive Timothy. He also says, Epaphroditus came to me. And he says, he's my brother and my companion and my fellow laborer. And he says, Epaphroditus was sick and he was sick to the point of death. And he said, in fact, he goes on down and he says, Epaphroditus was sick. And he said the illness that he had was because he spent of himself and he was spent serving the Lord's people and it became ill. And he says, but God, you can read this. You do well read all four chapters. If you want to experience some joy in the Lord, read all four chapters and, and, and look for the uh, lessons that God will give you in experiencing joy in the Lord. But Paul says right here, he says, indeed, he was sick nigh unto death. But he said, God had mercy upon him. And he says, and not on him only, but also upon me. That I should have, that I should, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. Did you know that I fully am convinced and believe that we are taught and we are instructed to pray for those that have physical problems, to pray for those that have struggles and difficulties, because I believe that it does make a difference. When Hezekiah was sick unto death and uh, he was prayed for, it says that God added 15 years to his life. God hears prayer. God doesn't always answer prayer, maybe the way that we think he'll answer it, but he always answers it in a fashion to where it is for our good and for his glory. Brother David Piles, who's a faithful soldier of the Lord, and his father's been a faithful soldier of the Lord, he says, our, our dad, it looks like in a few days, is about to go and be with the Lord. And he says, we as a family are reconciled to it if God takes him on to heaven because he has thousands of friends that he's ministered to, that he's preached to, that's in heaven itself. And there'll be great rejoicing there. But he says, if God has mercy upon him and he sees fit to uh, spare his life and to restore him for a little while longer for the thousands that he's ministered to here on this earth that's still here, we'll rejoice in that as well. We'll bow in submission to God's will in light of our Father. And that's what Paul's saying right here. He says, Epaphras, he says I, I, I rejoice in Timothy. I rejoice in Epaphroditus. He was sick unto death. And he says, but God had mercy upon him and God spared his life. And he said, and God spared me from heaven. More sorrow upon sorrow. Well, it comes down and uh, we'll, uh, we'll touch on. Uh, he, he says, I'm sending Epaphroditus. He says, I sent him there the more carefully. And when you see him again, he said, I'm telling you what he's experienced so that you yourself will rejoice when you see him coming. So that you'll rejoice that he's been delivered from a, a terrible illness. 
And he says, I sent him therefore, and, and, and the more carefully that when you see him again, that you will rejoice and that I will be the less sorrowful. Receive him therefore in the Lord with all gladness and hold such in reputation. Because for the work of the Christ, he was nigh unto death, not regarding his life to supply your lack of service toward me. I had a minister, my pastor, that uh, experienced verse 30 right there. Brother David McLeod may have known him or at least known of him. Brother George Johnson. He spent himself. He spent of himself. And he died at an early age. And he absolutely wore himself out in serving the Lord and the Lord's people. Paul said this is what Epaphroditus experienced. He starts down in verse uh, 1 of chapter 3, and we'll just hit a few verses. This is so good right here. Uh, I want to get past the first, say, five or six verses, but uh, this chapter is really, really good. Again, Paul says, I want you to be in one accord. I want you to be in unity. He says, finally, my brethren, he starts out again. As he said in chapter 2, I want you to experience the joy in the Lord. I want to experience the joy in the Lord. And then he says in chapter 3, as he starts out, Finally, my brethren, again, he says, rejoice in the Lord. I think we probably ought to get the, 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 the thrust of the lesson that we ought to be rejoicing in the Lord. If we're not rejoicing in the Lord, there's something that we're missing. Because Paul over and over says it. Paul, who writes the letter from prison, is still yet rejoicing in the Lord. He says, in fact... He says, I, I've told you some of these things over and over again, but he says, it's, it's not grievous to me to remind you over and over of some of these principles that we need to, to hear. And you know, that's so important for us to hear things that we've already heard, that we've been taught lessons to remind us over and over again. He says, rejoice in the Lord. And Paul says, beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of concision. For we are the circumcision the worst that which worship God in spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. Paul is saying right here, don't be led away. Some of these folks that had been delivered uh, unto the truths of the gospel, unto the grace of God, some were being drawn away by some either that were emphasizing Jewish tra tradition. They were taking them away from the teachings of the Lord. There is... Um, there's a, a verse in Second Peter, and, and, and Paul is saying right here, he says, don't be drawn away and don't be enticed. Don't leave and don't depart. It, it's, it's emphasized here in chapter 2 of Second Peter. He says, uh, he says uh, talking about folks that are drawn away uh, from their teaching, from their understanding. He says, for if, if after they have escaped the pollutions of the world... Through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He's talking about folks that have, have uh, been, been taught right. They've been taught the things of God. And yet uh, are enticed maybe again by the world. Or begin to have doubts about their convictions. And he says right here. He says, some of you folks have been drawn away from the pollution of the world to the things of God. And he says, don't depart from that and don't leave it. And here's what he says happens. He says, for if this happens to somebody, he says, if they once again entangle themselves and overcome, the latter end is worse with them than the beginning. He says, for it had been better for them. This is talking about folks that, that have been taught the doctrines of grace. This is folks that have been taught about Jesus Christ and then get uh, discouraged along the way or enticed that maybe that's not the way and depart and go back into the world and, 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 and pursue that. And here is the description of it right here. He says, for it had been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness then after they have known it to turn from the holy commandment delivered unto them. He says, it's a, it's a bad thing to know the way and the things of the Lord and to knowingly depart from those things. And here's how he describes it right here. He says, but as it happened unto them, according to the true proverb, the dog is turned to his own vomit again. 
Now, that's just not a very enticing scene right there, but he's describing right there somebody that's been delivered and turning back to the ungodly pollutions of the world. He says the dog is returned to his own vomit again, and he says, and the sow that was washed to her wallowing in the mire. My mother had a neighbor, and uh, she was telling me that the neighbor had a pet, and it was a pet pig. Now, I tell you, I don't have a pet, but if I did, I guarantee it wouldn't be a pig. I, I just, that one kind of surprised me. Here it says, it's the nature of the dog to return back to the vomit. It's the nature of the pig to return back to the mire. You can clean it up, you can dress it up, but it's going to turn right back to it. And he says, that's how he describes somebody that's been delivered and been taught the things of God and understood the things of God and then depart from it and go back into the world. Now, I've known folks that I've witnessed this that, that, that happened to and some that took others that direction with them. And I've known some folks that, that did that. And I believe that God was displeased with it. And I saw the judgment of God upon them. And in some cases, even their life was taken. I've witnessed it in my lifetime. It's a fearful thing. He's saying right here, you'd, have better, you'd been better off if you'd never been delivered from it and gone the ways of God than to go that way and to turn and depart from it. Now, Paul says, we cannot confide in the flesh. He said, if anybody's going to confide in the flesh, he said, I could confide in the flesh. He says, I could, I could confide in the flesh. He says, Though I might also have confidence in the flesh, this is really good. I hope you can stay with me just a couple of minutes longer. This is really, really good. He says that I might also have confidence in the flesh. If any other man thinketh that he hath whereof he might trust in the flesh, he said, I the more. Paul, just, Paul doesn't usually take this approach right here. But Paul is reminding the folks right here. He says, you think that you can confide in the flesh and your accomplishments and your achievements? He said, if anybody could do it, I could do it. Because he said, I qualified to confide in the flesh. But look, look what he says right here. He says, I was circumcised on the eighth day of the stock of Israel of the tribe of Benjamin. He says, I was a Hebrew of the Hebrews. As touching the law, he says, I had it down. He says, in fact, you could, you could label me as a Pharisee. I knew the law and I kept the law and, and I, 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 had it, I had it together. He says, concerning zeal, he says, I had zeal because he says, I persecuted the Christians. He said, I had zeal. I persecuted the church. He said, it's touching righteousness. He says, I was blameless because he said, I kept the law in his own mind. If you remember that when Christ comes to the Pharisees, when he comes to the Jews that had been creating all these additional laws, adding on to the laws that God had given them and then placing them upon other people, they couldn't even keep them themselves. The apostle Paul says, if folks were looking at me, he says, I had it together. But he says, those things that I was putting stock in and that I was trusting in, they kept me from having the fellowship and the relationship with the Lord and with Christ. He says, in fact, all the things, all the accomplishments that I've had, everything that I can muster up and pile up and say that it has made me worthy and righteous. He says, I count all those things, but dung to win Christ. Now, these children can go home and ask their parents what dung is if they don't know. But it's not very appealing. It's not. And Paul says, all of my accomplishments and my achievements and my righteousness and everything that I have, I count it as done to win Christ. Is there anything that keeps you from winning Christ? Now, I'm not talking about eternally. God's going to take you home to glory. But if there's anything that separates us from our relationship, our fellowship, our communion with Christ, we ought to count it as done. Paul did. And here's what, what he says right here. He says, but what things were gained to me? Are there anything, is there anything at all that's gained to us that we count as gain that keeps us from our fellowship and relationship with Christ? 
He says, for what things were gained to me, he says, when I really look at it correctly, when I get the ledger and I reconcile it, the things that separated me from Christ, he said, when I begin to reconcile it and I total it up, he says, I realize that those things that were counted gain to me, I counted loss for Christ. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord. He says, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and I do count them but dung that I might, that I may win Christ. Paul is stating his own situation right here. He tells the folks, he says, don't you depart from the Lord. You stay close to the Lord. Don't you just get get discouraged along the way. You stay close to the Lord. And if there's anything that separates you from the Lord, he says, I've added it all up and I count it but dung if it separates me from the Lord. He says, my desire is to be used of God and to suffer. He says that I might win Christ. Now, what he's talking about right here, we've talked about running the race, and running the race with patience that Paul laid out for us right here. Here's what he says. He defines winning Christ. He says, as for me, and as for my desire for you, this is what he says. I want to win Christ and I want to be found in him. Let me ask you. If the Lord comes back this week. Are we in a place that we'd be real happy to see the return of the Lord if he comes back? We ought to be. We ought to be looking for the return of the Lord. When he comes back. Look what he says right here. He says I want to be found. In him. He says not having mine own righteousness. Which is of the law. But he says that which is through the faith of Christ. The righteousness which is of God. By faith. He says I want to win Christ. I want to be found in him. And then he says right here in verse 10. He says that I may know him. I want to know Christ more. I want to know more about him. I want to know more about who he is and how he works in my life and how he works in your life. I want to be known of Christ and to know Christ. And here's what he's saying. That I might know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. And if by any means that I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead, not as, not as though I had already attained either were already perfect, but I follow after that which I've apprehended for that that I am also apprehended of Christ. He said, I've been, I've been made a prisoner of Christ. And he says, I am a prisoner. And he says, God called me to this role and this life. And he said, I want to experience it to the fullness of God. And then here it gets really good right here in verse 13. Paul says, I haven't achieved it all right here. I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do. Forgetting those things which are behind. Do you know what Brother Bradley's preached several messages recently? Really great messages. I hope you'll hear it. It'll bless your soul, if you will, about the things that we should remember. But here Paul is telling us right here. He said, there's some things we ought to forget. He says right here, he says, forgetting those things which are behind. And he said, changing our focus and our sight and our mental vision. Uh, Someone said our mind's eye. Changing it to the things of, of God. He says, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before us. And this is, this is, this is so good. Paul said, as for me, I'm in prison. I desire your good be experienced. I desire you grow in the Lord. He says, I press toward the mark. What is the mark in your life? What is it? What is it that motivates you? What is it that gets you up in the morning? What is it that inspires you? If it's not the Lord, 
If it's not Jesus Christ, we're missing the mark. Jesus Christ should be our focal point. When we get up in the morning, we should desire to be used of God to serve him. Oftentimes, he will allow us to be used to serve him by serving other people, by serving God. As I mentioned earlier, it's a great desire of a gospel minister to just simply be used to help other people. But that's not only reserved to gospel ministers. That's all of us. We should be saying, God, how can you use me to serve you by serving other people each and every day that we live? And I tell you what, if you'll ask God and you'll go to the Lord in prayer for that every morning, you'll be surprised at how many doors of opportunity God will open for you to serve him. If you're looking for ways to serve him, if you're looking for ways to serve him, I guarantee you he's going to give you ways to be used of the Lord. And I want to tell you this. I'm just going to throw this out there. I, 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 I get a, I, I'm very thankful when I am satisfied. I know I'll ultimately be satisfied when I get to heaven and immortal glory. But sometimes God uses us here in this life. And do you know how he repays you when he uses you here in this life? He blesses you with a tremendous degree of satisfaction. He does. I know ultimately I'm going to be delivered in heaven and I'll be satisfied eternally someday. And I'm really looking forward to that. But... While I'm here below, sometimes he'll use us a little bit along the way. And he blesses us with a season of satisfaction. And that's what Paul's saying right here. Or that's what I believe he's saying. Paul said, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. And then he comes down and he says this. Please go through and read it. I'm I'm skipping a little bit, but this is really, really good. He said... You look around and you find some examples that are godly examples. And he said, you try to follow those godly examples. But we should also not only look around and see if we can find some godly examples to follow. But we ought to pray that we are those godly examples. Did you know that the greatest role of, uh, for Paul for aged women? And I'll let you go look up John Gill's comment on aged. But the greatest role for older women is to be a godly example. To teach the younger women. The greatest role for older men is to be a godly example. He says, you look for a godly example, you follow it, and then you be a godly example. Look at what he says right here. He says, for our, he says there's folks out there that are going to try to lead you away from the things of the Lord. But he said, you keep your mind and your focus set on the things of the Lord. And he says in verse 20, for our conversation, that's our life. That's not only our speech, but that's our life. That's our our." Our activity, our life. He says, for our conversation is in heaven. From whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Who shall change our vile body. That it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body. According to the working whereby he is able to even subdue all things unto himself. Does your vile body get you down sometime? How about your vile mind? That ever bother you? Your vain imaginations ever run away with you? You know, sometimes my imaginations go in such an extreme, and when I find out it wasn't nearly as bad as what I thought it was. I may be about half dead, but I still have a wild imagination sometime. Sometimes we get real discouraged about our vain thoughts, our vile bodies, our vain imaginations. Paul says, I'm also looking to something else. He says in, I think it's chapter one, he says, you know, I'm in a straight betwixt two. I'd rather go on and be with the Lord. Rightly so, he's in prison. You might say my plate is super full. 
and I get pretty weird and I get I have a lot of health problems or I have a lot of problems with kids or grandkids and sometimes I just want to go on and be with the Lord. Paul said, I want to go and be with the Lord. And I'm in the straight betwixt two because he says, I'd rather just go on and be with the Lord personally. I, I'm, I'm out of here. I'd like to be out of prison. I'd like to be with the Lord. But he says, it's more needful for you. God is the one that's in charge of taking us home. And he's, he's, when he's ready to take us, he'll take us. And if he's got you here, it's here. You're here for a reason. And it may not be for your own good, but it may be for the good of those that are around you. It may be for the good of your wife or your husband or your children or your co-workers. It may be for their benefit and for their good. Paul said, ultimately, sometimes I get a little discouraged. But he says, I want you to know that I'm looking for a day also. There is coming a day. What a day that will be. When he's going to change these vile bodies, these vile minds. And they're going to be fashioned and made in the likeness of our Savior Jesus Christ. And then we're not going to have to struggle with these sins and with Satan and all the challenges that we experience here in this life. Paul said, I'm looking for that day. What a day that will be. May God bless you. We're glad you've been able to listen to this special podcast. We invite you to come and worship with us on a Sunday morning. Our services begin with hymn singing at 1030 a.m. Mount Carmel Primitive Baptist Church is located at 1707 Churchville Road in Bel Air, Maryland. If you've enjoyed this message, we invite you to subscribe to our podcast in iTunes or in your favorite podcast application.